Certainly the Bible does not command us to have a Good Friday service, like it commands us to worship the Lord uh, on the uh, first day of the week, every week, to commemorate his resurrection. For that matter, the Bible doesn't command us to celebrate Easter as a special day, or Christmas, or to have Christmas Eve services. But one thing the Bible is very clear about, repeatedly telling us over and over and over again to remember. The Bible tells us many times, over and over again, to remember the goodness of our God, to remember that he loves us, and to remember what he has done for us, something that we could never do for ourselves. When we uh, first begin reading the scriptures about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament speaks to us with words of joy. Remember, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The people who first heard that could have never anticipated the outcome we just read. For all who are watching that day outside the city gate of Jerusalem, it would have been hard, virtually impossible without the work of God to think that this Jesus could save anybody. What kind of Savior are we talking about? He cannot even save himself, the crowd mocks. They laughed at him. They spit on him. They jeered at him. They pulled on his beard. And they struck him in the face. And they beat him. Now, while all of this was going on, while all of this abuse was happening to him, what was he doing? The church father, Augustine, summed it up this way. They, the crowd, were raging, but Jesus was praying. Now, I want to take a moment here just to say something and bear with me. I mean no offense, but I do mean conviction that I believe that we love rage. We love it. We do. We love to see it, and some of us even love to feel it. Now, I already, when I look into your faces and I say this, I see some of you already saying, no, no, not me. That's not me. I'm not like that. I am always under control. And if I do feel rage, in my case, it's justified. Of course. If someone hits you, what do you want to do back? Years ago, I spoke at an elementary school chapel about this very topic because the politics 
of the playground were out of hand. Do you believe in an eye for an eye? At the very least, yes, I do. If someone cuts you off in traffic, what do you do? You rage. In fact, we even have a word for it, road rage. If someone laughs at you, do we not look for an opportunity for revenge? I do. I love revenge. If someone betrays you, then if they crossed over in your mind from being a friend, because only friends and people who love us, that we love, can betray us. Have they crossed over from being a friend into being permanently an enemy? Yes, everyone's raging. And Jesus is praying. In their rage, the crowd shouts, crucify him. But his cry is, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As we read tonight, Isaiah foresaw this. When he prophesied, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a remarkable statement. I might be moved to make intercession for the good people. I might be moved to make intercession for those who deserve it. And yet what we read in the scriptures is, as that this Jesus, this Lamb of God, makes intercession for the transgressors. Remember those words, I do not know the man. Those words of Peter spoken in fear and cowardice and who knows what all else become my own words every single day. Every moment I live for myself, I'm saying, I do not know the man. Jesus is making intercession for the friends who say, we don't know him. But praise God, Jesus knew Peter and he knows us and he prays for us. I do not know the man. Those words of Peter are also ours. Every boastful word, every selfish act, every lustful thought, every time we covet, every time down deep in our heart of hearts, we rage. We say, we don't know the man. The people there at the crucifixion stabbed him in the side, and we too certainly I hope it's not too maudlin to say that we stab him with our gossip and our cruel words. And we cut him, certainly, with our own self-centeredness. And yet, he prays for those of us who have declared him our enemy. Augustine says of this, he was hanging from the cruel nails, but he did not lose his gentleness. What love. What love. What commitment. So really the question we should be asking as we hear this tonight is not 
how can this be so terrible or anything like that? But how is the father going to answer that prayer? Can he? Will he forgive transgressors like us? Maybe the most important question you could ask. We hear one of the thieves say, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. And in many ways, that cry to save us is a great cry. But what's even more remarkable is Jesus' answer not to save himself. But that what we see happening here is that Jesus trades places with us. He will die. He's making a swap. Jesus dies so that paradise is open for us. And we know in three days, Easter Sunday, will answer the question for the world, what the Father's response is to Jesus' intercession. This day, unlike many of the days that we celebrate in the church, we don't put out lights, we don't hang greenery, we don't put colorful ribbons in the gallery. Instead, we hang black, and in a few minutes, we'll turn out the lights. It's a good day, even though we don't decorate and we don't celebrate in the same way we do other days. Because today we remember something our God did for us. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all the people, for there is crucified for you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord.